Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to what episode five of Behind Golf with me, Dan Hendrickson, and my guest today, going from Navy to a PGA professional trainee to their new adventures. That's what I'm going to call this video. World exclusive. This podcast. No one else knows about it. No one else knows about it at this moment in time. Nope. Lee Whittaker is in the house. Now, for those of you that don't know, myself and Lee have worked together now for, well, I'm trying to think. It was from the get-go. Yeah. In fact, yeah. Lee, I blame you for a number of things because <laughs> actually me doing this YouTube thing is your fault. So all those grey hairs are your fault and my fault. Correct. All the stress you've got, my fault. Well, when we first met, I didn't have any grey hair and you didn't have any grey hair. I had a few, but now, now I have to gel it to make it look darker than it is. <laughs> <laughs> so just a little bit of a backstory. Um, I was working with Mark Crossfield at the time. Yes. And I didn't know you. Nope. But you came up to Torquay for a fitting. Driver fitting. Driver fitting. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yep. You put me into a TS4. Uh, T was it TS back then? Uh, yeah, it was TS4. TS4. Yeah, TS4 you put me into. You were the actually the only person that I had to get the TS4 head out for as a fitting. Because I span it a lot. <laughs> and then you were actually the only person that ever sold anything along that low spinning <laughs> model too. It's all that speed out, wasn't it? You had a lot of speed. Um, no control. You didn't have a lot of control, but you were spinning the golf ball with whatever driver I put you into with... Well, huge amounts of spin. Yeah, yeah. So getting you into a low spin model because you're a massively hit down on top of it mm -hmm. kind of person at the time. Yeah. Um, but what was great about that and our adventure in the in those sort of first, let's say, couple of years was um, how we got your because we moved on from that fitting, didn't we, to to coaching stuff. Yes. So I, you did the I don't, what, the journey was it used winter to call it? program thing, yeah, winter journey or whatever it was, and I signed up to do that which yeah. was over was it six months at the, that's right yeah, during the winter months. months that's right yeah um so i'd come down once a month for three hours a time for yeah. coaching um and the rest is history <laughs> well when you when you first turned up you were off 18 yeah i was yeah 18 um i'd gone from 26 to 18 in good solid eight years yeah nine years and then we basically got you from 18 to end up doing your pga i can still say to you dan i am your biggest ever achievement even before children <laughs> <laughs> well before we get into where you've ended up and, and whatnot let's go back okay. okay because your journey in golf actually started when you were kind of in the navy yes and yeah. i really wanted people because obviously you've been a massive part of this channel for such a long time um but people probably don't know the full story behind what what you how you kind of got into golf or how you ended up doing what you're doing so just take me back to i think you were probably like 16 17 years old 16 i was yeah so i, I left school at 16 this was before you had to leave school at 18 which i think you have to do now oh do you uh well so Part my rules so my uh so my bank balance tells me when I've got right, to keep okay. paying two kids child maintenance till they're 18 but um yeah so I left school at 16 uh was always going to join the navy or if I actually wanted to join the Royal Air Force as a firefighter okay. but you had to be 18 to do it right so at 16 I was always going to join the forces my I've got a very like a very big military background my granddad was in the army right. during World War Two. my dad was in the navy so I was always going to follow in that military sort of footsteps, footsteps. so to speak as the family 
Um, so at 16, uh, I walked into the uh, Armed Forces Career Centre and I wanted to be an aircraft engineer artificer, which is basically like a high-level engineer. Okay. Um, didn't leave school with the right qualifications. qualifications, so I became an aircraft engineer. So I was a Lynx mechanic. Wow. So yeah, the Lynx helicopter. So I obviously joined in May 99, did all my basic training, and then moved to Sultan to, lo- to learn aircraft engineering. To where? HMS Sultan in Gosport. Okay, yeah. So I was brought up, although I was born in Manchester, my dad was in the Navy, so I was brought up in Portsmouth. Yeah. Um, so I went back to Sultan, which is just across the water in Gosport. Yeah. Did all my training and then moved to Yeovilton, which is in Yeovil, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and became a Lynx mechanic. And I did that for six years, know, 2006, seven years. Yeah. Um, and then I was... I was kind of not working on the aircraft. I kept getting drafted to aircraft carriers to work as part of the ship's company. So it's more uh, workshop-based yeah. rather than working on the helicopter. So I lost a bit of interest in the whole... I was being passed over p- for promotion because I wasn't working on the aircraft. Um, and I had another interest in policing. So I changed over to the Royal Navy Police in 2006. So then that would be classed as what, an MP? Yeah. If, for those who know Army, they have an MP on MP, the badge. MP or the uh, MP on the hat from the yeah. old A-team. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't quite part of the A-team, but <laughs> definitely had an MP. Um, so yeah, it's basically the Navy's equivalent of an MP. MPs are more known for the Army. But um, yeah, so I branch changed. With a branch change came promotion may have been a kicker towards helping towards that decision. Yeah. Um, and I basically went from an able rating, private, whatever you want to call it, depending on what where you are in military, to uh, a senior non-commissioned officer within four years. Right, okay. So I flew up through the ranks. Um, so by 2010, I was more or less on the fringes of being a, a senior NCO or sergeant equivalent in the army. Okay. Um, but within that time... My then wife fell pregnant. We had twins. Yeah. And my mum moved to Torpoint, so I had no family in Plymouth, uh, in Portsmouth anymore. No. Um, and with the twins and me being in the Navy, knowing I'm going to have to go away, we needed that family support. So I got a draft to Plymouth and moved the whole family. And we started living in Torpoint in 2010. Still in the military police? Still in the military police, joining my first ship okay. as a military policeman. So what ship would you have gone on from there? I went on to HMS Cumberland. So I went on there for two years. And basically, being military police on a ship means that you are basically like the police officer on board ship. Yeah, Is that so how it works? There's two, on those smaller ships, there's two police officers. There's um, the senior policeman on board, and then there's this, the next one down. There's two of you, so he's one rank below the senior. Yeah. I went on there as that one rank below the senior. Okay. Uh, and then when I left there, I got promoted to the, to the sergeant, uh, we called them regulating petty officers yeah. back then. Um, they're actually called popos now, which is kind of weird. Okay. PO policemen, so they're called popos, which popos. doesn't really work if you're in the US. So if you are, um, you're, you're obviously still in the Navy at this point, should we mm-hmm. say. When did you decide, I want to come out of the Navy? Uh, I got medically discharged in 2018. Okay. So I've got... And you stayed in the military police all that time? Yeah, so between sort of then, I got promoted to the senior NCO. I joined HMS Somerset. I'd obviously, before that, I'd got a divorce, yeah. you know, split up with my wife. I joined HMS Somerset as a senior NCO, 
uh, as a senior policeman on board at that yeah. time. The other job, the, so that comes with other roles. So one of my other roles was um, I was a flight deck officer. So it was my job to land Merlins onto the back of the onto the back of the ship, not okay. physically land them. Yeah, that's yeah, what pilots yeah. Bring are for, them in, yeah. marshal them on. Yeah, um, you have many hats when you like the the one below the senior policeman steers the ship during. Um, important occasions like going in and out of dock and refueling yeah. at sea. Uh, and I was actually the senior policeman on board in 2014, 2014 when we did an eight and a half million pound drugs bust in the uh, Indian Ocean. Wow. So I was, the, what, the way that works is the Marines went on, to, they do boardings on these skiffs and if they sense or they find something that shouldn't be, I get called over to go over and confirm well, on this case, I got called over to confirm what it was, at which point, once I confirmed it was heroin, the Marines destroy the ship to find, because they're very sneaky, they'll they'll put build it all in, mm. and they'll fiberglass over the top of it, Okay, yeah, so yeah. it looks like part of the structure. Yeah. So the Marines are obviously trained to, to break spot it all, all up. That. They're, and, they're yeah. trained to spot abnormalities within it. Yeah. Um, and once I confirmed that, they smashed the thing to pieces, and, right. and we recovered it. Wow. So I had to bring back a, a kilogram of heroin for the authorities back in the UK and we ditched the rest over the board. So some very high fish in the Indian Ocean that day. Wow. <laughs> so I my understanding is that in the in the military, golf is actually or not just golf, but all sports, if you're of a, a decent level within the game of what you choose yeah, or yeah. sport, you can actually have a bit of a travelling career playing your chosen sport. So if you're a golf, you could actually travel with a golf team within the Navy yep. and travel the world playing golf, representing the Royal Navy over here. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. So if, if you've got like a high level boxer, part of the bobsleigh team, part yep. of the hockey team, part of the rugby team, football team, golf team, you're effectively then paid to play sport. Right. Your role as a, a policeman or an aircraft engineer or whatever it is kind of is your second job now in the okay. Navy because they really want to push you forward in the sport because it's really good it's really important it's really good for pr if the navy football team are in oman playing their team or if they're in new zealand playing their team it's good pr so right. they they coach them properly they it's like think of it like a, an actual football team their role then becomes secondary because they're just out training out traveling the world playing that sport so they really push sport in the military if you have a high enough standard so in 2010 you decided to embark on golf i took it up by chance really right. i um i'd always like from there i'd always kind of gone once or twice a year or gone to the driving range like every kid does but in 2010 when i moved if one of my neighbors said oh you know you should come down to whitsand bay and have a game with us we've got a charity day on and you know bring your mates a pairs event yeah um so i went down hacked it round and fell in love with the sport. And that was the first time I'd ever become a member of a golf club in okay. 2010. Whitsand Bay. Whitsand Which Bay. you're still a member. Still a member today, yeah. So at that point, did you think, oh, I, I like this. Could I could I work myself, work my way up into the Navy golf team? Is that a thought at the time? Not at the time, no. Because no. I, I think my first handicap was 26.7. Yeah. I think 28 was a maximum during those days. Yeah. And um, I was that was on a good day. Okay. <laughs> a bit like today, 29 around <laughs> Ireland, you know, 26 is a good day. Um, <laughs> um, and, so and what was the level then that you would have had to get to to play, ten, represent? 10 to get to Navy. command level, okay. which would be Plymouth command. You're talking low single figures to play in the Navy Navy team. Yeah. 
It's like a county team, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You'd be, you'd be, rep, you'd be a plus figure. Because I do. I remember playing golf with a uh, a lad who is in the. I think he's in the army. Extremely good player, plus three or four handicap golfer. One of our top players within the county won pretty much everything. He still is in the army, represents mm. the army, but obviously their team is pretty impressive. If yeah. he's one of the players of plus four or three, um, yeah. So being a big, being a ten handicapper, I suppose you would be in the the squad but wouldn't necessarily be the traveling in the traveling five you play for the command okay as but the like your command is you've got plymouth command scotland command plymouth portsmouth command so you play the area you know you would never play like the army as the plymouth command you might play the royal scots or you might play they'd all have their own command level teams yeah but when you get to navy level or playing for the navy you've got to look at like the navy arm the army navy match at twickenham they are professional level players yeah they could they could play in your saracens and your wiggins or whatever it is they are at that level players and that's what the top navy teams army teams are all there you got to look at them on the level of professional sportsmen yeah because they're at that level not necessarily maybe not so with golf because they're not probably tour pro but i think a lot of them could probably could be pga pros could be pga pros could probably be Euro Pro, if that's, yeah. or you know that kind of level. I don't think that's around anymore. But you clutch know, that, now, clutch. Yeah, call. they could yeah. certainly hold their own on that level at plus handicap golf. Yeah, course. for sure. So when you actually then medically <laughs> discharged or came out of the, were you a bit upset? Did you want to come out of the navy? Is it something? Because I mean, if, uh, once you're in it, you're kind of in it, aren't you? But no, I was ready to leave at that point. Okay. I'd done twenty years by that stage, just right. coming up to twenty years. Um, I had, I've got basically, I've got arthritis in my neck. Okay, yeah, we we'll um, know about that, yeah. So it's, it flares up sometimes, it doesn't flare up. And being um, a policeman, part of our role is to go down the streets and deal with drunks and things. And I was a, a police personal safety training instructor, which so it was my job to train them in self-defence and all that kind of stuff. And it was just take pain, havoc on my neck. Yeah. So I became a little bit indispensable, not really needed, although I was qualified to quite a high level, especially in fraud. Like I'd worked in the special investigation branch for three years. Yeah, I just became a little bit like you're an office. You just be, you just become a bit of an office bod. Yeah, and that's not what I enjoyed doing. So the medical discharge came at the right time before I started getting probably disillusioned with it a little bit. Right, because okay. I only had eighteen months left anyway. Okay, so I was going at the end of twenty two, even though I'd been offered a five year extension. Yeah. I was always ready to go at that stage, but it was it's scary knowing. Yeah, you've yeah, got, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it you is. Know, you've got a definite paycheck quite a decent paycheck your dentist your medical everything everything in your life since i was 16 i've never had to worry about to come outside to needing insurance for this or private health care for that and it's like what's going on here yeah that was a scary part but i was do you feel like you got trained to deal with that when you came out (coughs) because i look at it as like when i left university or college in the states like i don't feel like i got trained that's a bit hard I didn't have any real guidance as to what to do next, as to, you know, how do I become a tour player? How do I become a PJ pro? Mm. You know, I didn't have that training. I got, I got education, but I didn't have the training to go out into the real world and, and live. Me personally, I didn't, but that was out of choice. Right. There are, we have what's called transitional workshops. Yeah. So to learn about writing your own CVs and all that kind of stuff you now need to do. I chose not to because I'd started my own business up two years before right, okay. coming out. So I just wanted to get out and concentrate on that. Um, but the resources are there if you need it or you want it. I just chose to, I want out. I've got my own thing going over there. I want to go and concentrate on that now. 
Over to golf then. Mm-hmm. Where, at what point did you think, I want to, because I, I, I mean, you'd started up, in fact, you'd started up a YouTube channel before I had started up a YouTube channel, I think, or, yeah. or certainly I was probably heavily into with Mark. You were with Mark at the time. And uh, even though I had a channel, it wasn't really doing anything. I uh, wasn't putting anything onto it. So you must have had a channel kind of got going. Yeah, I started. What, where did it all, why, why did it all start for you? Um, Were you watching YouTube golf and thought, I can do a bit of this? A bit, yeah, a bit like that. I started watching, I started watching YouTube. I was watching Rick. I think Golf Mates at the time was called Golf Vlogs UK and he yeah. was maybe on like 20, 30,000 subs. Um, and I just started watching. I thought, well, I could do that. Um, why not? And then a little bit of, I'd suddenly been busy for my whole life wishing for time off. Yeah. And now I suddenly had loads of time to do stuff and I was, I didn't like it. I needed a hobby. I needed something to take my mind off of just being bored. Yeah. So it was kind of like, well, I can do that. And I can, at the same time, it kind of cures my boredom. It's never going to go anywhere. I'm never going to just, but if I can get a bit better at golf at the same time, then great. So I just, started doing it and my first video is appalling like it was yeah, really, well, we, they, it was awful all, they all liked every, <laughs> everyone that like, we all of going, us have done it uh, hi I'm, I'm Lee um, yeah. and, uh, and this is golf uh, 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 uh. and I can't look at the camera <laughs> <laughs> like is that a fly so yeah um, but it's nice to I think I did um, a video during lockdown like looking back at my first hundred videos I'd put out and I was just laughing at myself. Yeah. But I'd never, I don't want to ever get rid of them. Because no, some people no, no, can, no, no, no. might want to delete really. them. But you can look back and go, actually, look at where I've come from. Yeah. Maybe not in growth ways in, in YouTube, but in personality and confidence in all that kind of things. Where have I come from? And it's sometimes fun just to watch those old videos back and laugh at yourself. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, you don't necessarily have to keep them out in the public domain. You mm. can private them. Yeah, I laugh at, at yours sometimes. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. bunker shot. <laughs> and my review of the Callaway MD wedges. <laughs> I quite often, if I need a laugh, go back to them. Thank you, yeah. You're welcome. That's why it's got, got 60,000 views, because yeah. I'm like, I feel a bit down. I don't know what I need to do in my yeah, life. Yeah, <laughs> let's go and do that. But it must have, uh, you must have seen something in me, because you wouldn't have come up for that driver fitting, stroke lesson, stroke... I just wanted to meet a celebrity, wasn't it? That's what it was. Celebrity, yeah, yeah, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, you, you and I watched that. it, I was like, oh, can I have your signature? Oh, my God, it's Dan. <laughs> so, you embarked on your um, YouTubing world, which you were still an amateur golfer at that point. You were still progressing... I ever not been one, but... Well, you, you, were progressing, you were progressing up within your amateur ranks, as in, yeah. you, you know, you came to see me off 18, you had started your YouTube channel by that point. As far as I was concerned, you were an... Uh, a handicapped golfer and you were reviewing equipment going out onto the golf course showcasing your journey which is kind of how my ch- channel has been what it's what the whole thing i set it yeah. up to be was this is this is my world in golf this is my journey and this is this i'm going to document as much as i possibly can for you along the way yeah that's kind of what it started for you yeah i just wanted to Kind of, I kind of felt looking at reviews at the time, there wasn't a lot around for people like me. So, handicapped yeah, golfers, there's you know, a lot of there's, pros. There's a lot of pros. There's Rick, there's Pete, there's James Robinson, who was still at um, whatever the golf club he was at in his studio. You yeah. know, all 
that's how far back it was. But there was never really there was Andy, the average golfer. But I don't really think he's an average golfer. He's, he's you know he's a single figure, I think eight or nine. So he's yeah. you know he's a little bit better than average. Um, so I just started doing it from a hacker's point of view. You know, okay. someone who doesn't rarely hit the middle of the club and hits a nice slice or can hit a snap hook and are these clubs actually going to help me? Yeah. Um, and as I was doing it, it just piqued my interest more and more about learning technology, learning yeah. about it, because I wanted to better the product I was putting out. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, we, we started Destination Scratch, which I think back, it's quite funny. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to give myself a target. Did I think I'd ever hit it? No. Have I ever hit it? No, arguably not. But um, you should. You have shot level par before. I've shot five under before. There you go. So I can do it, but it's like a once a year anomaly, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but it's you know I, I think I, I, I've been criticised quite a lot on YouTube of, you know, he's not a pro. He's the worst pro on YouTube. He's a twenty handicapper at best. But I know I can do it. I just can't do it all the time and that's well you know what i mean yeah well we, none of us can do it all the time but your 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 goal if i look back you know your your goal was never to be a pga professional never um it was the more you got involved with working with me and us doing videos together and then and then and then obviously you had your shop down in plymouth that you were doing you had your coaching studio you're not coaching studio you had a, you had a studio in there that yeah. you could sell equipment out of or yeah. a little golf shop that you had down in Plymouth. Um, it was when you got your job at Ashbury. at Ashbury where, you know, because at the end of the day, you don't need to be a professional golfer to fit a golf, fit golf equipment. Your knowledge of golf equipment from not just what you used to watch on YouTube, but having conversations with me, you know, having conversations with manufacturers and finding out what worked, mm. what didn't work for the for the clubs. You kind of worked out your own style and your own way of reviewing equipment. Yeah, yeah. You then turned that into becoming what I I believe was you were you were a very good fitter. Obviously, Ashbury, which is where you got the job to go in there and do the fitting kind of thing there and help with the pro shop and all of those sorts of things. Is that where it sparked you to want to actually could I? become a PGA professional could I start coaching people yeah that was the that was the point um where I thought I can you know I, the, the I always classed myself and you know again people are going I'd never get fit by a handicapped golfer etc but I was classed thought of myself as a pretty decent fitter I yeah. think I knew what I knew what I was talking about I could back up what I was talking about and the people who came and got fit with me I've never had anyone come back and say what did you do I, if anything m most of them have gone brilliant and have recommended me yeah and i thought to myself i could offer coaching here at the same time yeah you know whether it be you had a great a, facility a great facility whether it be in a group of juniors during the holidays when that's yeah. there one-on-ones but when it came to coaching it was definitely a i'm not gonna wing this situation i don't want to go and do that eagt week course yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Yeah, if i'm going to coach i need the credentials to back that up or i'm not going to do it yeah um and I think I was off eight or nine at the time. And I gave myself initially a target of 18 months yeah. to get down to four to turn pro. Then I realized that the way the Navy works is for five years after you leave, they will give you an allowance to help you with education. Yeah. Um, it's called like resettlement grants and things. And that had three years left to run. And yeah. I had three years of the PGA to run. 
So that gave me the best part of five months to get from nine to four. Yeah. So there was a lot of practice. There was a lot of going out and playing. I used the, I won't lie, I used the system to my benefit. Because it changed, didn't it? Yeah. So the World the Handicap, Handicap System, system came changed. In, yeah. And I used that to my benefit. So I went up and played with Craig off the black t- black or gold tees at R&D. Okay, yeah. Which yeah. adds, so suddenly par is like five over the par. Yeah. So I went around there, shot eight over par. It made me look like a hero. Yeah. But I, so, and I, I used that system to my benefit because length gonna, has never been an issue for me. I'm going to jump, no, I'm going to jump in there and say that actually, Lee, that hasn't changed people using certain situations to their advantage. And the reason I say that is because when I was an amateur coming up through the ranks, I remember my brother as a prime example, you know, in the last two years of him being an amateur golfer, or maybe the last year, but let's say two years, he didn't play Cheston. Mm. He did not want to go and compete on a Saturday in the competition here at Cheston. All right, when his last round of golf was a 62 and he won, the, won that comp and shot the course record, but he, he cherry-picked the events that he played in. And a lot of low handicap golfers would do this to keep their handicaps low. Because if you go around to Churston or your home club, the standard scratch would always go, uh, would always go down. Yeah. Therefore, you'd have to shoot two or three even better to, to get any chance in getting cut. Well, if you went to a Lynx course, like you talked about Royal North Devon, if you went to a Lynx course where the standard scratch was always higher and then the wind picks up, and generally if you're a good player, you can deal with the wind better yeah. than the average golfer, let's say. So if the wind picked up, the standard scratch will always go up and therefore your level par or one or two under par would be like amazing. Yeah, yeah. So the more you played with better players, the more chance the handicap, uh, the standard scratch would go up and therefore your handicap could come down. That is a system that people have used forever. Because the handicap system changed, you were able to do that quicker. on just on general basis, couldn't yeah, you? Yeah, so I could do that on general play and I could do it quicker yeah. because I wasn't going down point one, point one, no. point one. I could... I could in a week drop a shot yeah. because I was, you know, I was going out four times a week playing hard courses with people yeah. um, and subscribers and people will always go, oh, it's easy when you, I don't believe that you've just got people to attest you. I know that I did it the right, I know I got down to four. Yeah. I just used the system to get down to four, but I didn't cheat my way down to four. The PGA changed as well. So there was a lot changing at this time. Yeah. Wasn't there? So the PGA, yeah, the PGA yeah. handicap system yeah, changed yeah. where, um, if you got down, so if you're a PGA, to get into the PGA, you have to do a, if your handicap is scratch, or certainly when I did it, so if you're a scratch handicap and you had to be off scratch for, let's say, six months, you couldn't just get to scratch and then, and then yeah. you could get away with not having to do a playing ability test. But if you were a one handicapper or 0.5 up to 4.4, you had to do a playing ability test and that was a 36 hole event Mm -hmm. and you and i know it sounds like really you know you think that if so when i did it i was a one handicap my handicap was point something i don't know what point eight let's say so i went and did my playing ability you had to shoot under 15 over so two rounds of seven over would get you in Mm. easier said than done when you know the score and you know what's on the line, your career's on the line, all of these things. It's an added pressure that I'd never played to a score before. Yeah, yeah. I'd only gone to win events and this and the other. So my mindset was to go out and win that event. And that made it easier for me to possibly get through other people. I mean, there was only three of us that got through on the day. Mm. And you're talking decent players that yeah, are playing yeah. in it. So the handicap system side of it changed and it went to six, didn't it? Uh, six point, 
4. 6.4. So yeah. we're at 4.4 to 6.4. But with different aspects. So 4.5 yeah. to 6.4, you could go... So that 6.4 was my target. I was yeah. off 9. 6.4 was my target because I had to join that year yes. to get that help with the financial For from the, the Navy. Navy. Yeah. Um, so 6.4 was my target. I did that quite quickly. Yeah. But if you go 4.5 to 6.4, you can enter. But you have to play 21 rounds over that minimum of 21 rounds over three years. Yeah. And I think it's, I go back, four of those have to be plus four or better. Yeah, okay. So it doesn't sound like a lot, but as you start ticking them off, suddenly there's more pressure to shoot plus yeah. four. Um, whereas if you got down to 4.4 below, yeah. you could, you had to play 21 events, but you could shoot 28 over par. Yeah. It was irrelevant because you've gone in as a handicap of four or better. Do you think on the old system you'd have achieved it? Nope. In that right time, no, nope. no. So the new system allowed you to be able to yeah, achieve I wouldn't pass that. the playability test. No, but you actually didn't. It wasn't the six point uh, six point four number you oh, got to. It, like yeah, four I, got, point. I got to four on the dot. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Um, now I remember. Uh, it was a proper four, not the Argos four on the French trip as well. The Argos four, <laughs> yeah. So I remember when you uh, decided that you and we we've been talking about it from the As Ashbury time, and you were thinking about that you wanted a career in golf. I get that. You know, you wanted a career. You'd had it, you got a great job in golf mm -hmm. and you wanted a career in golf. And I remember, I remember thinking of it, it with two hats at the time. I was thinking of your YouTube channel and I was also thinking of your career. And at the, obviously at the time, your YouTube channel was turning over quite nicely and you were getting some good views and it was earning a bit of money for you and things, but not enough to... No. To, to, to have a career in it at yeah, that yeah. particular time. Um, and I remember saying, and I remember thinking there was, there was two trains of thought with me. I was thinking the problem is there's so many golf YouTubers out there that are pros. So there's so many guys out there. And, and, and as you rightly said, when you kicked off your YouTube channel, it was, it was like you were the one and one of the only people off of a, whatever handicap you were off in your mid-teens yeah, yeah. that had a YouTube channel that was reviewing equipment. And I, the part of me was saying, yeah, but Lee, you're a, you know, you're a 10 handicap golfer who, or nine handicap golfer who has a presence on YouTube and is known for reviewing equipment as an average golfer. Not even average, yeah, yeah. Uh, below average, but but in a position a where you were golfer. a relatable golfer. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Square. What a great name for a YouTube channel. Relatable golfer. <laughs> the relatable golfer. <laughs> Let me just so, that one down. <laughs> um, but by you turning pro, that would go overnight. Yeah. Because you're now a pro. You're just in the mix of, of me, other people that are in the industry or in the, in the YouTube space that are pros. You just jump into the us. You're in the same boat as us. Mm. And there is when the part of where the hit came at you at the same time, wasn't it? What do you mean? Because you were now a pro golfer. You got crap thrown at you, left, right and centre for being the worst pro YouTuber, mm. golfer. I was going to run with pro. that for a while as well. But I, I remember saying to you, you know, you need to think of it in two ways here. You know, you've got a YouTube channel which is based as a, as a, as a handicap golfer, mm -hmm. you know, and now you're going in as, as a professional golfer who wants a career in golf wants to coach, wants to yeah. fit, wants to be respected as a golf pro rather than just a handicapped golfer that has a YouTube channel and fits people. It was, what was the thought process there? Did that ever cross? I mean, we talked about it, so it must have crossed your mind. Um, to be honest, I, I, I kind of looked at it as 
I w- would earn more money fitting and coaching than YouTube was always a hobby. Yeah. Although I, I think I released a video in the pandemic zone. I'm going full time. At that time, it was only like sixty pound a month. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You go full time yeah. if I live in a cardboard box somewhere. But I was, it was always a hobby. But I always wanted to grow it, yeah. and I always had have. I still got that ambition to someday have it at a level where it can become my career. Yeah. Even now, even though we're going to go on to what I'm doing now, yeah. but even now, I'd love to for YouTube to be at a place where it earns me. 25 to 30 grand a year yeah and then i can you know do it properly because i love the things we've done in the youtube world i love traveling um i love organizing i love playing golf on vlogs um i hate competitive golf and being a pro suddenly became uh uh-oh golf's competitive yeah and you're not good enough okay now You've now turned pro, mm-hmm. okay? So now you're, let's just talk about, let's put YouTube to one side, but you've now turned pro and you've started your PGA program. Yeah. How did that go? Because we're about to reveal that actually you've finished the PGA program now. Yep. As in you've decided to call it a day. I have. But you got through, comfortably got through your assignments and your exams of year one. You comfortably two. got through year two. You got level what qualifying level coaching? Two. Level two coaching. Yeah. Um, interestingly, the funniest one was the social media stuff that you had to study and give feedback on videos. And yeah, yeah. I got a really did. good mark on that one. I, I hope so. <laughs> that was my I first really ever do. assignment. I remember looking at the assignment, going, "You better do well at this." Yeah, that was my first ever assignment. Was to review a a video that, um, in fact, you met Hannah Holden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hannah, is that the right name? Yeah, Hannah. Yeah. yeah. Um, she does stuff for National Golfer and it was National to, Club Golfer National Club Golfer yeah. and it was to look at that video and critique it say what could do better what couldn't do better what was she doing right what was she doing wrong blah 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 yeah, blah, yeah. blah. Okay. Um, and I got quite a good mark on that which I probably ex- would have expected I would like to think you should have got a good um, mark on that the other ones um, I, I never failed an assignment okay um, I got close to as in like in the low marks just above but the thing is, though, there was no, I know you can get, what is it, um, trainee of the year or trainee of the class or whatever it is, but yeah. there's no, in the PJ, there's no, like, there's no distinction, there's no merit, there's no with honours or anything like that. It's, you've passed or you failed. Oh, really? I think, I, did I get merits? I think we, there was or, merits and things when we did it, so it's probably never, changed. So certainly probably I was changed. never told of that. So if yeah. you got 100% for everything and, yeah. I, and John got 50% for everything but yeah. passed, you still it get... It was your, just a pass. Yeah, you still get... Well okay. done, you've got your degree, yeah. off you go and, and coach. So I was never worried about scores. It was all about just passing the three years so I could, what I wanted to do at the time was to coach and to yeah. work in, fo- in golf and, and all that lot. But it just, just didn't turn out to be that. Well, and, and during your time at, Ash- at Ashbury, I always want to say Asbury, there's two different yeah, companies yeah. there, Ashbury and Asbury. Uh, during your time at Ashbury, I was approached by... Uh, a very good friend of mine at Dartmouth Golf and Country Club. Mm-hmm. They were looking for an assistant pro. You had just done, I think, year one or was yeah. in the middle of year one. I don't even know where you were at that point. But you, they were looking for an assistant pro to come in and be the assistant at, at Dartmouth Golf and Country Club. Yep. Stone's throw from where we are here. And uh, so I, I literally threw like um, two names at him, I think. One was already qualified. And then there was you. And I said, look, 
you know, Lee's umming and ahhing whether he wants to carry on at Ashbury because of the travel and everything that was. There's a couple. There's a couple of reasons yeah. around Ashbury. But would would you be interested in Lee Whitaker taking over as your assistant there? So that's when that whole thing snowballed, and then you became you started working at Dartmouth Golf and Country Club, didn't you? Yeah. So I mean, with Ashbury, I was self-employed. Okay. So it was a self-employed role. In the winter, Ashbury. Died. dies yeah. like it's got shut, it goes it down. kind of shuts down it kind of shut the the ashbury side of it shuts down the goal uh, the keep a couple of golf courses open yeah and at the end of the day there was not really enough work for me for them to justify me being there okay on a full-time basis earning what i was earning by the way i love that place i'd go back tomorrow ashbury is I just loved, yeah fantastic. and that's what i mean I, we, there was never i never fell out with ashbury yeah if they could have employed me full time, I'd still be there now. Yeah. I think it's a fantastic place with fantastic people. Yeah. Um, it just, the circumstances meant I could not get paid for six months of the year. Yeah. Unless you were going to pay me double for six months of the year, then yeah. that'd be fine. Um, so I went and met with Dartmouth yeah. um, to take over the, uh, I think it was a senior assistant professional at the time, but. The, well, they honest, didn't have any others. Any, there was yeah. only one. So <laughs> there was obviously the head pro and yeah. there was the senior assistant. Um, so I went and met with them and obviously interviews and things like that. And yeah. they hired me as the senior assistant at the time. The, I won't go into too much details, but the head pro was off. Yeah. Um, and finished and had more or less finished for reasons that are their issue. Um, so I took over as head of golf within two months of, or three months or however long it was of, of joining there. I'd gone from joining as the assistant to then, basically being like the head pro there of nobody because there's no assistance. I hated that. You know I didn't <clears> like that. And, and the reason I didn't like it is not that I didn't feel like you could do the job. I just felt like it was, you know, you were, you were still in your training. You were still studying. You were yeah. still having to get assignments done and tick the boxes for the PGA. And it just, it wasn't the, I didn't feel like it was the right time. But, we're all ambitious. We've yeah, all got yeah. families and we all want to achieve things in our life yeah. and earn money and do the things that we want to do. It was a carrot that you just couldn't, couldn't help but go for. I uh, will go into a bit more. I, I feel my, my not expertise, but my, the things I'm good at are management. Yeah. I think management organizational skills looking at data and, and analyzing it are, are things that are a strength of mine and when someone says to me transform my golf side of business i'm like yeah I can, hell yeah i can do that yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Ticks the that's, boxes that's, for me. that's what i'm good at yeah um so yeah and there's a pay rise with it well definitely yeah <laughs> you know like who's gonna say no but yeah ultimately in the golf side of things it wasn't the right time yeah uh as a as a job, it was probably the right job, but not at the right place. Yeah. If I'm being perfectly honest. Um, I think I got when I left there, I got quite a lot of hate from people on my channel. Lee can't hold down a job, he's going from here to here to here. They didn't know that I didn't never I never really described why I left Ashbury. I just said I'm leaving Ashbury, but the real truth was I would never have left there if there was a permanent role there, yeah. which there is now for Connor and you know, good luck to them and yeah. I wish them the best and I've met them at Bunker Live. And I, like I said, I love the place, love the people. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, that role wasn't there. Um, Dartmouth was, it was a bit of travel. It was quite, it was a bit of a daily commute every day. Yeah. Um, and circumstances around it, it, 
it didn't suit the ambition I had for it. Yeah. So I made the decision to leave knowing I had nothing to go into at the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but, but deep down though, Lee, I still think your, your passion within the game of golf and, and what's great about it is you got to see pretty much every aspect of what a PGA pro has to go through. <laughs> every box in the first two years. You did, you did tick all the boxes and it's not as glamorous as what people probably think it is. No. You, you've got to make it, you know, getting into the PGA early is important because actually you make it a lifestyle. You know, if you rely on it to, to you know, if, you, if, if I was going into the, P, when I went to the PGA, I was still young. I was living at home. I wasn't earning a great deal of money and I could make my lifestyle, like my holidays were pro-ams abroad. Yeah. Like, which was like, which were basically free holidays. If I earned a few quid hit, hitting the ball around the golf course quite well, mm. then I was, then I was happy. But ultimately they were just like, let's get on four pro-ams a year. Let's get away four times a year. And I'm, I'm that's my holidays yeah, done. Yeah. Going into the PGA, um, with a family, having to cover your mortgage, having to do all the things that you you have to do, is really hard. And, tra- and, and cover and, your travel and, and your hotels your to go and do these level ones yeah. and level twos and it's hard and things. It's um, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough time to be doing degrees. Put yeah, it that way, when it you're really in forties and and it's kind of an open university, isn't it? Basically, yeah, is what you're essence. doing. But 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 working on an apprenticeship wage mm. to try and achieve it is yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. But your passion, I think, from what you've learnt from all aspects of being a PGA pro or all the aspects of, of it within the professional golfers ranks playing wasn't really what you wanted to do because the added pressures of not just playing and earning money from playing, but the fact that you knew everybody was still watching, mm-hmm. you know, from the behind the scenes going, yeah. well, hang on, he's not a pro. What's he doing here? So that, that was the kind of, I know you, we had lots of conversations yeah. about that, but your passion was still filming. Yeah. And still is. Yeah, to a point. Mm, I love it. I, it's, I have the most fun play, uh, uh, during golf is when me, you, and Bernie, or me, you, and whoever, whoever, if it's just me and you, we go away. Yeah. And we film, and we just have fun. Yeah. We just. The, it's as if it sometimes feels if the camera. Uh, it doesn't feel like the camera's not there because you got to hump it around all the time. But once it's set up and rolling, yeah. It's. I feel like I'm having a game of golf with three mates or two mates or however yeah. many people are there. Um, and then to see the the finished product and be part of that product at one stage of the editing of it, it's kind of like, it gives me a bit of pride. I yeah. had a bit of pride in the finished product and people watching it and commenting and um, not necessarily on the golf, but on the, the whole package of it. So yeah, I, I really enjoy the filming, playing, that side of golf. Yeah. I hated the competitive bit. Yeah. Because I knew people were watching. Yeah. It's hard. And I knew that I don't necessarily knew people, or I did know people were watching because people would comment on the scores I'd shoot. shoot. And, I, you know, the the pressure just builds and it's easy for people to say, and then people will say, you've put yourself in that situation and, I, and that's quite right. I've put myself on YouTube. I've put myself in the position to be critiqued. Yeah. But it's really difficult. And I always say to people who say something is, don't comment on something you don't know what you do in that situation. Yeah. You know, it's easy for people to sit behind the, the computer and watch it and go, how is he a pro? How does he know what he's doing? But you've never had to put yourself in a situation where you know if you do that badly, 50, potentially 50,000 people are going to jump down your neck. Yeah. Um, and it takes a while for that to be okay. But what I would say is that the community that we've created 
not just on my channel, but on your channel and now on mm. Bernie's channel, those people that are big supporters of what we do, they were massively supportive for you yeah. when you were, when the was hitting the fan basically with your golf. Yeah. Once. Yeah. So people have always, the, the hardcore fans or the hardcore people who've watched the channel from the beginning yeah. have always been supportive, whether I, they're supportive. If I play well, they're like, well done, you know, well done Lee. Really good to see him playing well. If I play bad, like a, um, when we were in Ireland, I, I dread. I didn't look at the comment section for two weeks. Yeah. Because I had to build myself up to what to do in it. And actually, when I read it, I was really surprised at what I was reading. Going, oh, we've all had bad days. It's it was nice to see Lee still smiling and having a laugh and carrying on. Yeah. Um, because on a, on only one occasion have I nearly had a mental breakdown because of comments. Yeah. Um, no one knows about it apart from you and Vicky. Mm. Um, but that was that China Fleet vlog where I was filming. Yeah. Um, the comment section went in, went in hard. Yeah. And I, I consider myself quite a strong-minded, strong-willed person. That's the first time I've ever felt what it must be like to have depression. I broke down. Um, and, and you, and you, it's you saw a side of a side of YouTube that people don't even think about. No. And they don't, and you know, I, I sometimes think people would comment, and if they knew the consequence of what comments can have on people, would they still do it? Yeah. There'd always be people out there who are trolls and will safety of a computer screen. Yeah. But sometimes people just throw a comment out there, and their comment might not be the one, but when you've read thirty of them or forty of them, it just takes one. Just compounds on you, and at yeah. that moment, I had to make the decision: Do I continue to do this? Or do I just man up a bit yeah. and understand that it's their it's their opinion, um, let it be. But that has never ever left me, and that's that pressure when we're filming or I'm out in a pro event, and I start off bogey bogey, panic sets in. I've got to now not look like an amateur. I don't yeah. care about winning. Don't care about anything else. All I'm trying to do is keep ball in play, get on green, two pot, get off. Yeah, um, and that's how I played my pro events with that in the back of my head going, you can't be bottom by 10 shots. Yeah. If you're bottom, be bottom by a shot. Don't be bottom by 10 shots. Don't be... And if I was third from bottom or mid-table, that was a win for me. That was a win in my eyes. Whereas you, you go out to win and you always used to say to me, if you're going to go and enter an event, you go out to win. I knew I was never winning. Mm -hmm. I was ticking off seven events that year. But all I wanted to do in those seven events... Was get a score together. Was get something yeah. that wasn't at the bottom... So I could at least say I've held my own with professional golfers. Yeah. That was a win in my eyes. So you finish at uh, Dartmouth mm -hmm. and you come to the office. To the... The, the, the holy... The holy office. grail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and obviously there was... that It was at a time where the channel was... I, I had still these big ideas of what I wanted to achieve with the channel. You had helped me massively from the beginning of where we'd gone with the channel. And... We spent a few months together trying to trying to turn this thing around and see if we could bring it back onto, um, back onto the rails, should we say, and get it moving in the right direction. And to a point, we did. To a point, we January, did. January, February were really good months. Yeah, really, really good months. And then, because <coughs> you gave me control. <laughs> but well, <laughs> but it just it got too hard. It got to you talk about emotions. You talk about the, the stress of of running a business and and the stress of doing your PGA mm. or whatever it was. It just for me personally, it got it got too hard financially. It got hard for me yeah. to have the people that we had working here and to go from there. And yeah. 
things had to change. He fired me. And you went. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, so we, I think we, I could, I can, I've always been, out of everybody who's, who works for you, I think I've always been the one that you've spoken to or confided in if there's been an issue. Um, and I can always tell when there's something not right. Yeah. Um, so I kind, of, I kind of knew, one, I knew a conversation was coming, but two, I, I kind of wanted it to happen for your benefit. Yeah. Um, so we, we sat down and had a conversation. And I think, you know, I understand why you did it. It's kind of like, if I throw money at this, can I make it, can I can make, I, it, can work? I make it work? Um, but ultimately, when you've got three editors, as you had then, me, yeah. Johnny and uh, Jordan, I know Johnny was doing a lot of not YouTube side of it, but and then you, it suddenly becomes a that's a lot of money you've got to outlay. Yeah. Um, so I think we just kind of made a mutual decision that I could use the office, you would help support me, and I'm going to push forward in my channel because I had, I probably had 12 months worth of savings to be able to push it. Yeah. Um, I think the channel at the time was probably earning me five to six hundred pound a month um, on the basis of what I was doing at that time. So I gave myself 12 months to to really go for it with your help. You obviously offered me the studio, the use of the office. Um, we would still go away and film together. It's just I would no longer be on your payroll. I do what I wanted. And if you wanted me to go away with you, I'd be like a contractor, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, so we went with that uh, and we did that from, that was from February. Yeah. And then the cost of living crisis hit. Yeah. And that 12 months I had turned into about four. That really hit YouTube, didn't it? Mm. The, the, the ad revenue just literally fell out and yeah, then yeah. the bottom fell out of yep. it. And um, yeah, it was literally like going through, almost like going through lockdown again in some yeah. ways. The numbers that were kind of like, what you were earning from it and things like that. And, and my, it fell out of my, the bottom of my channel and it fell out the bottom of your channel. Yeah. But ultimately yours was almost even more important to make sure it earned the money um, to keep you going. Yeah. I had to I say I had enough savings to be able to eat into it. Yeah. There's any way to describe it. It became my income for 12 months. Um, but that 12 went to four yeah, practically overnight. Yeah. I think when Liz Truss and her chancellor came up with that bright idea everything became four times more expensive overnight yeah. and um i couldn't sustain it no. it was never I ne it was never going to grow in four months to a position that would earn me that 25 30 grand a year yeah. um over 12 months sustained possibly yeah no chance ever for well with that in mind then you then finish off here mm -hmm. um you slow down what you were doing with your own channel to that point I just feel like no, you no, stopped filming. No, I stopped, and there was a valid reason. So it was June. Yeah. Um, I had gone away to Spain for my yearly trip with the lads from Whitsand Bay. Yeah. And on that trip, I had fun. Yeah. Golf became fun. Because up to that point, golf wasn't fun. Golf was a job. Um, I wasn't, they were all going away doing opens that I was yeah, used to yeah, go yeah, away yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah. Team events. Team events they weren't happening. The only time I was playing any competitive golf was in a PGA pro event and I was playing a PGA pro event to survive. Yeah. So suddenly it was golf, playing golf became no fun. Yeah. And then I went to Spain for a week, played six rounds of golf in seven days, had the most fun I'd had in ages. And then I put my golf clubs down when I got back and didn't yeah. pick, I picked them up once for the pro out for the four ball at Tiverton in July Okay. and didn't pick them up again until two weeks ago. So with that in mind, you've come out of golf. 
I just made that decision to resign from the PGA yeah. uh, and get my amateur status back and turn golf into a hobby again, instead of golf into a job. And you've got a new job? I've got a new job. What are you doing? I am a operations manager, um, stroke moving into general manager for a coffee and vending company. So those skills that you felt that you probably learned from your military days, you were able to put into management role in vending. Yeah. So I, you know, I did, I did um, middle management, I suppose you could call it, within the Navy, yeah. ran my own business. Um, and like I said, I think my skill set has always been more of a managerial, organisational, looking at numbers and, and, and working out where trends are and things. And I didn't actually apply for that job. I just applied, I was doing, I did Amazon a bit. Delivery. Um, yeah. Deliveries to sort of... Um, because you know there was conversations about maybe doing a few hour like a contractual work for you and then Amazon on the side yeah. and because it was so flexible I could if you know if we wanted to go away filming like we went to Ireland, Ireland I could just say yeah. I'm not doing it for two days I'll see you on Monday um, but I had to stop doing that because I wasn't getting home till half nine at night yeah. um, and that was the big kicker so I just applied to do uh, filling up vending and coffee machines role because it was an easy not an easy job but it was a a job that I knew I was more than qualified for yeah um and I ended up having a meeting with the director and he looked at my CV and the the stuff I could offer and basically offered me the role to oversee stroke run the company because he wants to start and him and his wife want to start taking a step back slow down um slow down into retirement and maybe just let the company run itself you know take your dividend at the end of the year and and sit and relax so yeah I now I'm tasked to get that company growing because it went through a bit of a bad time during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, as a lot of companies did. So I've brought my whole, I've I've brought a whole new team in. Pretty much everybody. There's only two people left there employed that was there when I joined. Right. Uh, and Vicky joins me in a week as my office manager. <laughs> Good luck bringing your wife in. <laughs> but I want a team around me that I know can can uh, do the job. Them. I can trust. Yeah. Um, I've brought. Uh, two ex-military guys in. I bought someone I used to work on Amazon with. Okay. So I've bought people I know are, are going to be the right people to do it. Yeah. Um, so my head's on the chopping block if it don't work. <laughs> but it's the main reason is that is money. So what about the channel? What about your channel? What what where does it? What what do you do with it from here? Twelve thousand subscribers ish. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I've not looked. I've not looked, looked at it for at three it for months. Okay. So. Um, What's what's your, what's your plan with your own channel? Are you going to continue with it? Are you quietly just bringing it to an end, or what? How's it look? No, I, I still want to do it because I still enjoy it. Yeah, um, I just need to now make it more of a hobby than a full time thing. So okay. I'll go out and film at weekends. Um, I'll still film with you if opportunities arise and yeah. it and it fits around work and stuff like that. Um, but I'm not going to be obsessed with the money. I'm not going to be obsessed with numbers. I'm not going to be obsessed with views. I'm going to put out things that I want I mean I love doing reviews yeah and come January I'll probably start doing them again because um, that's but I'm gonna do things that I enjoy doing rather than things that I know will get views because it'll pay more and what's your handicap now then have you got a handicap back yet four gone back to four I got you to four well it didn't stop it was always four so you always keep it Lee um, we are going on a uh, golf trip well, in I'm March po- I know yeah right? <laughs> I want your handicap at least at like 15 that'll do <laughs> That'll do. No, so I'm putting, every time I play now, I'm putting yeah. cards in so I can see where I am. Okay. Um, I've 
Uh, Wit Sunbury is not the easiest place to put scores in. That's why I never okay, did it. Okay, keep over. playing there, definitely. Um, but I've done a, a nine over, an eight over, and a four over in the th last three rounds. Okay. And arguably, I'm playing better golf now than I was as but a pro. But you're stress-free. Because I'm stress-free, I don't care. Stress-free. I don't stress care. Stress-free golf. Yeah. Love it. I get a shot, get a shot of four walls now. <laughs> well, Lee, that has been fantastic. Absolutely great to actually sit down with you, go through your story as Pleasure. to... Um, kind of where it started to where you kind of got to right now and then what the future holds for you as well still within golf because you still love it mm -hmm. it's still part of your life and um which is what that's the reason i've left the pga because i love playing golf yeah and i just felt like i wasn't doing it i get it fully get it <laughs> thanks for your time my pleasure i will see you on the golf course very soon and thanks everybody for uh, watching and listening to this podcast